1: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.
2: This is Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Allie Brown. I'm here. To- with my friend and co-host Dr. Michelle Owens, my super good friend that is. And we are talking today all about facial plastic surgery and medical aesthetics. So it doesn't have to be the big facelift. We're talking about everything from a complete facelift, rhinoplasty, down to a facial and everything in between. Today we have our special guest, Dr. Randy Jordan, who is at Faces in Ridgeland, Mississippi and he's also on faculty at UMMC in the Department of Otolaryngology and head and neck surgery mm-hmm. and also one of his medical aestheticians, Miss Savannah Lloyd is also on with him today. We're ready to take all your questions at 1877 MPB ring. That's 18776727464. You can also call us at women at mpbonline.org. Hey, Dr. Owens, start by saying hi to you guys. Hi there. Hey. Hello. It's, oh, hey, there's Dr. Jordan. Hey, Frankie's here. Yay, yay, yay. So we have a full house today on the call, and we have a lot of great things to talk about. We're still socially distancing. We're doing the show um, via Skype still, still not back in the studio, though we would love to be. Um, and I believe probably most of us on the call have been vaccinated and we shared last week our experience with, um, the Pfizer vaccine, which we received, um, which have been uh, fairly mild. So we encourage everyone when it's your turn out there, um, when your chance is up to go out and get vaccinated for sure that, um, join in this initiative together. Of course, it's your personal, uh, choice, whether or not you do so, but from our own experience, um, we had relatively few side effects, and definitely worth
0: it to us. Hey, Dr. Owens, how are you doing? Hey, hey, doing great. Um, yeah, feeling feeling fantastic. Have not had any yeah. issues at all after um, after my vaccination. Although, I'm still wearing the mask, still hand washing, and still social distancing. Um, and kind of staying staying around the house, not taking any. Um, chances even though um, I've received the vaccine um, and I'm really excited about the opportunities that many other Mississippians will have to also um, join us in that. Um, I'm really excited about this show because one of the things that I have done more than I've probably done in the past year is see my own face um, because, you know, <laughs> usually you see it in the morning and then you don't necessarily see it the rest of the day per se. Um, but with all of these doggone Zoom meetings, um, yeah. And they, while they got these all these nifty things you can do on the background, they don't really have anything that you can do. There aren't a whole lot of Zoom filters to kind of um, help fix fix your face. So <laughs> it's really, I think your your overall skin care um, and the way that you appear from the neck up probably has been even more important and more emphasized um, in these COVID times, especially for those people who have continued to, um, you know, engage or carry out their businesses in a more virtual, uh, on using virtual platforms as opposed to um, to doing that in person. Um, so you get a little relief because if you gain the COVID-15 um if, you didn't, if it didn't show up on your face, you kind of got a little break. But the other part is that, you know, every zit counts um, when oh, you're dude. doing your Zoom meetings, you know?
2: I hadn't thought about that, Michelle. Dr. Jordan, have you had an uptick in consultations because of these uh, uh, Zoom imperfections?
1: Well, yes, uh, nationwide. Really? Yeah, nationwide. This is a real phenomenon that's been reported by a lot of people uh, in the media and so on. You may have seen this already but uh, both I think as far as just patients coming in for injectable treatments, non-invasive treatments like Botox and so on but also even more interestingly in surgical treatments. Um, there. Every Everybody I know, other facial plastic surgeons throughout the country are all reporting that there's been a very big increase in the number of people who are consulting for you know facelifts, etc., and I think that has to do with several things. One of which is that they see themselves in Zoom or on some other kind of video app where they're looking at their neck, but also I think people have more time because they're at home and they have more downtime, right, to be able to recover from procedures. They also Uh, have more disposable income because they're not traveling and they're not going out to eat and so on and so forth as much as people normally would be doing. But there's no question that this has been one of the unusual side effects of this pandemic. Uh, and there are many, as you know, strange things like toilet paper, for instance, who would have thought that. But, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, it, it's just an unusual situation. But yeah, we've been incredibly busy at FACES and uh, I, I, everybody, like I said, all the people I know nationwide that I talk to are reporting the same thing. So it's not just a local phenomenon.
0: Yes. Yeah, yes. I just set up my, my webcam so that I don't see myself. <laughs> everybody else to see me, but I don't have to see me. That's uh, right.
1: There's
0: that option on Zoom yeah. where you
2: don't see yourself.
1: That's true. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, you know, you know, interestingly, most cameras don't aren't very flattering, right? Most cameras on either your cell phone or on your computer, they're not very flattering, and they typically magnify your central face, so they make your nose look bigger. I mean, this is really a thing now. I'm not kidding. Yeah, it's tr- it's true. It's true. It makes it look look your, your central face. If you look at the, if you could look at a photograph of your te- of yourself taken with a thirty five millimeter camera, you know, an SLR camera, you know, with a proper lens on it, you're not going to see the magnification of the central facial features that you do on either a cell phone uh, image, typically, uh, or on your laptop or computer um, camera. So it does That makes
0: thing. me feel a little better. Oh yeah. my gosh, I am so th-
2: see there. Now I, I never knew, knew that.
0: for a fact. Now I knew for a fact that passport photos never really, I never feel like that passport photo or DMV photos ever really um, looked like, I never felt like I look like myself on those pictures, no matter how hard I try. Um, but now you totally confirm that. So now I can blame the camera. I love it.
1: Yeah, Those things, those are like, a, those are, those are like FBI most wanted photographs. <laughs> like, the show, like you see people in the post office, right? I mean, that's.
2: <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, feel, I feel I'm feeling better about myself right now. because like, yeah, you look at this and you're like, oh, do I look like that?
0: <laughs> yeah, so, um, our phone lines are open, guys. The number is one mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 877 672 7464 You can also drop us an email to women at mpbonline.org. If we are not able to get to your email on the show, we will respond at, at the conclusion of the show personally to your email box to make sure that your questions are addressed. Um, again, we have we had the, the Make Me Beautiful team um, with us today. Mm-hmm. So please make sure you give us a call, send it, um, and ask your questions. Because um, we are talking about any little tips and, and hints that you can use to kind of help um, make your face the best that it can be, healthy skin, um, and how to, I guess, take care of um what you've been given and if you are one of those people who don't really like what you see staring back with you at, at staring back at you um in the mirror or on the look or by bad cameras um then just to give you some information about what you can do to change it um, so again that number is one mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 7464
2: and I think there's nothing wrong with it, right? I mean, some people think, oh, well, it's frivolous, this and that. But how you feel about yourself is a huge deal, right? It, it has so much to do, within reason, of course. It has a lot to do with your confidence and how even you interact with other people in the outside world. Uh, Dr. Jordan, you must see a lot of people really kind of come out of their shell, or, or do you see people hesitate and say, oh, I don't want to do something for myself? You know, A lot of people think this is selfish or things like that.
1: Well, I think, yeah, sure, everybody's different. So you see that all the all different facets of that sort of situation. But I think that the the best if you are thinking about, you know, some sort of cosmetic treatment, whatever it might be, I I think the best reason to do that is to make yourself or help yourself feel good about yourself, right? I mean, everybody deserves to do something to make themselves feel better about themselves. And whether it's just having a facial with an esthetician, uh, you know, it's just as many, many things that are you know not not necessarily surgical treatments whatever but just uh, a lot of things can make you feel feel good about it you know and I have today I have uh, one of my fabulous estheticians at Faces here Savannah with me and uh, I'm going to ask her to give us a few tips about what she thinks people should be doing with their skin uh, while the, in the pandemic while they're wearing masks so much because you hear a lot about people having breakouts with masks and so on anyway so I'm going to let, let Savannah talk to you for a minute.
3: Hello. So yeah, the, the mask knee especially has been a really big issue in the aesthetic climate. A lot of, you know, we hear it every single day. What can I do about these breakouts from my chin or even like the N95 masks that are really fitted to your face are creating creases and lines that you may have not noticed before. Um, so the first thing you kind of have to take care of yourself from the inside first. So hydration is key. I know we're all sitting at home probably behind a computer all day make sure you're drinking water there you go (laughs) make sure you know you're you're eating your fruits and vegetables and really you're conscious about those kind of choices second make sure that you're using good quality products. I know not everybody wants to get out right now and, and see an esthetician face to face. So if you are running in the drugstore or doing your Instacart or your Target pickup, whatever that may be, um make sure you're looking for skincare products that are free of dyes and fragrances, just very gentle products that aren't going to irritate your skin and can kind of hold you over until you see a professional. Um, and if you have any acne issues because of the mask, keep that area clean. If you need to get um, some kind of salicylic ointment over the counter, that's totally fine. Um, just keep an eye on your skin and it'll, it'll tell you what you need. So, Samia,
0: I think you make a really good point. So, um, for the, I'm a, I am a label reader, right? And so sometimes that works out well. And you know, for a person who might have a a science background, um, you know, or who has a chemistry background, you might be able to recognize some of those compounds. But some of that stuff, you don't know what the heck it is, right? Um, there are all these like really long words. There's benzoics and all of these other eights and oils and all this other thing. So how do, what things should people look for or what kinds of, um, of those ingredients, um, should they really pay attention to when it pertains to, um, keeping their skin healthy?
3: Yeah. Okay. So like I said, fragrances and dyes, perfumes, those will usually be labeled um, pretty, you know, plainly on the back of the package. So avoid those kinds of things. Um, Another thing is a lot of people want to go for moisturizers with hyaluronic acid or salicylic acid, eye cream, you know, whatever it is. Um, if you're buying over-the-counter or from a big-box store avoid those kinds of things you just want to stick with things that are very simple um, not a whole lot of ingredients and if you are buying something like a salicylic wash or a vitamin C serum turn the product over and look at the ingredients list and whatever ingredient you're searching for so vitamin C um make sure it's one of the top 10 ingredients listed on the package so those ingredients are going to be listed in order of um like the number one ingredient being water that there's going to be more water than anything else in that product so if you're paying big money for a hyaluronic acid serum make sure hyaluronic acid is one of the top ingredients so that you know that you're getting something decent and um you know worth your money
0: so what do you say to people who are a little concerned about this concept of hyaluronic acid and putting acid on their face? You know, we hear that the skin on our face is really, um, is more sensitive. And so what what types of products or what kinds of serums actually are fine to put on our faces? Um, what, what should we look for?
3: So your skin is actually extremely acidic. A lot of people don't realize that, um, the epidermis is an acidic environment and it needs to stay acidic to create the homeostasis we're looking for. So, acid's a good thing. Um, hyaluronic acid is extremely hy- hydrophilic, which means it attracts water and it, it loves water. So those kinds of things, it's, I know it sounds scary saying acid on your face, but your skin loves acid, and that's, you know, it's okay. You just have to uh, research a little bit and inform yourself, talk to a professional, and um, we'll, we'll make sure that you, you get what you need.
1: And those are very mild acids, by the way, too. These are not strong acids at all. Just because the word acid is attached to it doesn't mean that it's really going to be very strong.
0: I think that's a really good point. I think sometimes, you know, we realize all acids aren't the same, and there's and and the concentrations make a difference. I mean, when you think about other things like steroid creams and other types of topical agents that people use in various places on their bodies, sometimes it's the strength of um, those particular um, those particular substances that um, can make the difference. So it might be that it's it can be just as appropriate to be used on the face, but may need to be in a lower concentration. As well. Um, so, this is a great place, I think, for us to take our first break of the hour. Um, we are talking about facial aesthetics, and we have the Dream Team here with us. Um, our phone lines remain open to hear your questions and your comments. Um, this is Southern Remedy for Women, and we will be right back after this.
3: Hi, Larry Morrissey with the Arts Commission, reminding you to tune in for the Arts Hour. We have in-depth conversations with Mississippi artists, writers, musicians, and other creatives. The Mississippi Arts Hour, every Sunday at 5 on MPB Radio, or download it as a podcast.
1: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.
2: This is Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Allie Brown. I'm here today with my co-host, Dr. Michelle Owens, and our special guests, Dr. Randy Jordan, who is a uh, facial plastic surgeon, and Savannah Lloyd, who is a medical esthetician. They are both at Faces in Ridgeland here in Mississippi, and it is a full-service facial plastics and skin paradise. So y'all check them out. We're talking today about all things facial aesthetics. So all the way from a facelift to a facial, these are all options that are available. It's a big time for self-care and don't forget to do things that take care of you and make you feel better. Uh, One thing I did kind of want to ask you, Dr. Jordan, you know, I think the old, some people think about kind of the old timey facelift, which is a, was like a big procedure. We think about these like Hollywood, old Hollywood stars that look, pulled too tight and we think about them peeling the whole face back and stuff. But it seems like in recent years, facelifts have become um, a lot more natural looking. And so I just wanted to discuss with you some of the newer options. I know that you do some of these procedures even in the office and not necessarily at a hospital in an operating room. So can you talk a little bit about the different options when it comes to surgical options?
1: Sure. Face lifting is still around, of course. It's never going to go away, in my opinion. But the people that you see that look very much overly done, I won't name any names. You all can think of celebrities, et cetera, that look like they've been stretched tight, uh, tighter than a drum. But uh, most of those folks are not on their first facelift. Most of the time they've had two or three facelifts by the time you recognize that they have a problem like this. So I would tell you that there are many celebrities that look really, really good who have had one or two facelifts and still look fine. But those people that you think of that look very unnatural, typically that's like their third or fourth facelift, okay? But yeah, so to get back to your topic though, there are many things that can be done short of doing an actual surgical procedure. But you know, once you get to a certain point in life, there may not be anything that's going to substitute for a surgical procedure. Uh, there's, a new, the, kind of, the, there's something that's been around for a long time called thread lifting, which is where uh, sutures are basically run under the skin to help support tissue and lift tissue. And this has kind of become a resurgence uh, lately doing that with uh, sutures that are no longer permanent. The permanent sutures that were used 10 years ago had a lot of problems with them. Uh, the sutures now are dissolvable sutures. They last about nine months to a year for most people. So you're not getting a permanent lifting effect with the suture lifts, but you are getting some lifting nevertheless that will last for a period of time. It can be done in the office under local anesthesia. I actually don't do that procedure because I'm a skeptic about how safe it is and how well it works, but there are many, many people who are doing these procedures nationwide anyway. We do do, um, some laser procedures that are minimally invasive, such as laser liposuction uh, in the office here, and I think that works very well for the appropriate patient. That uh, typically deals only with loose skin and fat in the neck, though, and is usually most helpful for the younger patient. Someone less than 50, typically, would be a person who would be a good candidate for that. You may have heard of the drug Kybella, which is injected underneath the chin and the neck to dissolve fat in that area, and that's another uh, procedure that is used. I tend to not use very much Kybella because I favor the laser liposuction over Kybella because I think it works better and more it is just a one- time treatment for most patients and uh, is more effective than Kybella. Kybella dissolves fat, but it doesn't do very much as far as tightening skin. And many people have some loose skin as well as excess fat from that standpoint. But yes, I think um, you know one of the focuses that we all have on facelifting is a more natural result. Nobody, wants to, nobody comes in your office saying, I really want to look like I've had a facelift, like I'm super tight or whatever and distorted. No one ever says that sort of thing. Everybody wants to look natural, but not only on the other hand everybody wants to look like they look better right so you so you, you know you want to be you want to see enough to see improvement but you don't want to be too tight and i think that is something that almost all plastic surgeons and facial plastic surgeons pay a lot of attention to these days you know it's where you where you place the incision lines and how what technique do you use to lift the tissue etc and so it's never one size fits all. Everybody is different anatomically and everybody's at a different age. And so, for instance, if you take somebody who's 70 years old, who is having a facelift, that person's gonna need a more aggressive procedure than somebody who's 50 years old, right? And so you have to taper and adjust what you do according to the patient's anatomy, according to the person's status and aging, et cetera, anyway. Uh, but yeah, I think that's, um, that's pretty well covers that topic, I would say.
2: So, um, are there any minor surgical procedures that you do in the office?
1: Well, yes. I mean, you know, bluffer, upper lip blepharoplasty and so on is certainly commonly done in the office, and that is really a fairly straightforward procedure that typically takes less than an hour and is done just with local anesthetic, mild uh, oral sedation like Valium in the office, typically anyway. Uh, short incision facelifting, which is sort of a short term. Or right, not short term but a shortened incision around the front of the ear that is mainly lifting the cheek it does not do much for the neck is something else that can be done in the office yes when you uh, are in the mirror in the morning and you place your hands on either side of your face and pull your your t- your skin back. That's exactly what you're doing. Is that ex- exact procedure is what you're mimicking with that? And anyway, yeah. <laughs> and uh, anyway, it is something that I think a lot of people do. I want to. Do I have just a minute to talk still? Can I? Is that okay? Yeah. yeah absolutely. So, um, one thing I wanna to touch on, uh, which has which is really a current topic is um, with the vaccine, the, the vaccines that are coming out, the, uh, particularly the mRNA vaccines, the Moderna vaccine and the Pfizer vaccine that are currently available in this country or somewhat available in this country, I guess I should say. The uh, study uh, that was done by Moderna, did look at the question of filler reactions with vaccines actually. And there were two people out of 30,000 people that were enrolled in that trial that reported some swelling uh, who had had facial fillers uh, previously. And I mean, these are dermal fillers like Juvederm, Restylane, things along that lines, hyaluronic acid fillers anyway. And this is a well-known problem that people who've had, facial fillers in the past if they have a, if they contract a viral illness like the flu or something along that line, some of those people will have a reaction where the fillers have been injected where they get some swelling and redness and tenderness. It's not an infection it's just a react, it's sort of a crossover immune reaction we think. and it does respond very quickly to low doses of prednisone. So I've seen this several times you know in the past 10 years and they, the patients do very well. Uh, as long as they're treated fairly early on, uh, you know, with a short course of prednisone results. And the same thing was found in this, uh, in the trials, that the patients who had these reactions, they were treated with prednisone or steroid, and they did very well, recovered very quickly from that anyway. It did not affect the filler otherwise at all. So, I don't think having, a, if you've had fillers in the past, I don't think you should be afraid at all of getting the vaccine. I think you, could, if you're inclined to get the vaccine, even though you've had facial fillers, you should go get the vaccine. There's really not any really great evidence or or advice on what to do as far as if you are going to have the vaccine and you're thinking about getting fillers, should you wait a while, et cetera? Most of us are telling patients that they should wait about two or three weeks after having the vaccine before they would get uh, fillers. But what I'd like to say is that even if you do have a reaction, you know, it, you, you call your doctor that's injected you and they can treat you very effectively with just a very short course, low and low doses of a steroid uh, called prednisone works very well, you know, for that in, anyway. And that's, I guess, kind of a current um, safety message I'd like to put out there, because uh, a lot of people have questions about that. that this has been on the media a lot lately, and so I'm getting a lot of questions about this in my practice.
0: Awesome. So um, you mentioned earlier about people who have multiple facelifts and we know that with some cosmetic procedures, there's like an expectation that at some point you will, if you, if you live long enough, you're going to need a revision or that you'll have to have it done again. Um, I'm thinking like we, when we talk about breast implants, um, you know, they say it's not, it's not just. Typically, for most people, it's not just a one-time thing. But usually, after a certain period of time, those people will have to have those things redone. So, um, how? So, for for facelifts, are multiple procedures kind of the the exception or the norm?
1: Yeah. So it's interesting. Uh, we, if you look at different procedures that are done for aging face, particularly, let's talk about brow lifting and, and blepharoplasty, upper eyelid surgery, for instance. Those things are very long-lasting. I mean, a brow lift or a blepharoplasty is going to last most people at least 20 years or more. I mean, it's a very long-lasting procedure. Most people do not have that redone. Occasionally, you may need some kind of a corrective thing, like if there's a scar or something like that removed. But typically, most people who have a successful blepharoplasty or brow lift are not going to want any kind of a revision surgery on that for at least 20 or 30 years, maybe never, right? So, but facelifting is a little different. I mean, I think that, and there's many people that only do have one face their whole life but many people are you know once you see the kind of improvement that you get your skin's tighter your neck's tighter and so on as soon as you start getting some loose skin in your neck again maybe in five or ten years many people are going to come back and go hey i was really tight i like that can you make that happen again right so so that's it's 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 very dependent on the person because we all age differently and our skin has different degrees of laxity and the older you are you know again if, you, if you're 70 and you have a facelift, your skin doesn't have the elasticity of of youth, and it's going to stretch out more quickly, and you're going to have recurrence of that deformity at an earlier stage than you would had you had the facelift when you were 50 or whatever. So, yeah, when you're 70, I think you have to expect that you're going to start having some loose skin within a few years, typically, again, after a facelift, and that's where people routinely come back, you know, just in a few years sometimes, just for a little tightening from that stage anyway. So. Yeah, I, I think it's very much dependent on that. Face Facelifting is probably the most common procedure that has to be redone at some point in time, I would say.
2: Awesome. So what's the recovery like from a facelift? Um, what does one expect uh, after a procedure like that?
1: Right, so you're going to have some bruising. You're going to have some swelling from all these types of procedures, typically anyway. That lasts the bruising lasts about 10 to 12 days for most people, depending on how severe it is. You know, if you're older again, if you bruise easily, you're going to bruise more. If you're if you've been taking a blood thinner like aspirin or something like that, you're going to bruise more. We use a lot of things these days to try to reduce uh, bleeding and bruising. There's one called transdemic acid, which is typically used either uh, in intravenous or in as an injection which works very well to decrease bleeding and bruising during the surgery and afterwards too as well. So I think that now one thing you do see is probably a lot less tendency for bruising in most patients afterwards but if you do get a significant bruise it's going to take a good two weeks to go to go away. Um, I think that the uh, recovery period most people are going to be up walking around the same day as surgery it's not going to slow you down that much the pain is usually not really all that significant for most people about half of the patients I have will say they had very little little or no pain, actually. Um, I think that um, also the uh, the recovery is different from person to person, of course, too, as, as well. But most people could go back out of the public eye with some makeup on it about two weeks, I would say, after the surgery.
0: Do that. How about feeling your face? Um, I know that sometimes um, when we do uh, abdominal surgery, people will talk about loss of sensation around um their incision site, um, and some people will sometimes have difficulty with that part of the skin. Usually around any cut or um, incision, there's usually some degree of like a change in sensation that may be short-lived. I think about like how many nerves there are in the face, Um, and so how significant is the issue with, you know, whether it's a paresthesia or some numbness or, you know, different nerve sensations after a facelift.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's funny. That's one of the things that we all kind of, as surgeons, we all kind of take that for granted, right? That people are going to have numbness around their skin, but but we don't, but many patients don't really understand that, that almost any kind of surgical procedure that you have is going to cause some degree of numbness around the incision line. That's temporary. It typically goes away over three to six months for most times, sometimes lasting a little bit longer, depending on what it is. But yeah, so for facelifting, you're going to have numbness of the skin over the cheek and the neck and around the ear, typically lasting for at least several weeks, if not months, okay? And the ear lobe, because the incisions run around the front of the ear and behind the ear, the ear lobe is going to be the numbest, the most numb, numbness is not a word, the most numb uh, area, I think. And it will last the longest. It may take a year for that to come back. Similarly with brow lifting, you know, because if you're making an incision of the traditional brow lift uh, along the scalp, you know, you're going to be dividing the nerves that go to the top of your head and that's going to be numb. It's going to take a long time for those to come back a year or so, but that is not an area that people complain about typically, you know, yes. And, and, you know, it, it's, as you know, Michelle, I mean, the thing is, is that they, it, it, it feels funny, it's itching or like bugs crawling on your weird sensations while the nerves recover, of course, kind of like when your foot's asleep, et cetera, and it wakes back up, it feels unusual or itching or whatever, but that goes away, that goes away over time. I People don't really complain at all about the numbness significantly, in my opinion.
2: That's cool.
1: Most people are happy it doesn't hurt very much, right?
2: <laughs> it's a good time to go get your ears pierced. Right? Just
1: exactly. Why? Yeah, yeah, that's funny. I mean, and we do. One of the things I think that you will see in in face of patients, particularly an older face of patient, is that the earlobes look longer. And and people, we all talk about, oh, how your nose gets longer as you grow older and your ears get bigger as you grow older and so on. And there is some of that because the tissue stretches out. You know, gravity has this relentless effect on all of us and takes everything, makes everything sag, right, you know, over time. And so your earlobes do get longer. They stretch out over time. So we will reduce the size of earlobes sometimes. will actually take some of the skin and fat out from the earlobe and make it smaller at the same time, or even separately, but mostly at the same time that we're doing facelift surgery. It's actually not uncommon at all for us to do an earlobe reduction, too, at the same time.
0: Hmm. Well, that's really fascinating. You know, one of the other things um, just about keeping our overall skin um, safe and healthy and, and how COVID has impacted that, you know, um, earlier Savannah talked about... Um, hydration and how hydration is so important. Um, is that, does that kind of hold true for these patients in the post-op surgical, um, situation? Like is the overall health of their skin kind of central to their healing process? Does it really make a difference? Cause I will tell you the COVID thing, um, wearing masks. I, I'm probably far more dehydrated now I think I kind of have a resting state of dehydration because when I am at work and wearing my mask I tend to drink less um, and I really I, I like water and usually kind of have a very high water intake but I do know that when I am um, when I'm masked up especially when I have on my n95 I don't I just don't drink as much like it is even when I'm being very very intentional, it is a challenge to maintain hydra- adequate hydration.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting point. I, I think that's true. I mean, for all of us who have to wear a mask for many, many hours at a time at work and so on, yeah, you obviously you're not drinking if you're wearing a mask or eating anyway, so it can make it very difficult for people to stay well hydrated. You know, the question about surgical healing, of course, I mean, yes, no question about it. You know, maintaining a healthy diet, not smoking, uh, not taking too much alcohol, and drinking adequate amounts of water is important for any kind of healing process, no matter what the surgical procedure is. Uh, Yeah, and it's certainly no different from cosmetic surgery from that standpoint.
0: So this is, I think, a great time for us to take uh, our next break of the hour. Again, we are talking with Dr. Randy Jordan um, from Faces, and we are talking about facial um, aesthetics, being beautiful. We'll be
3: right back after this short break. An
0: evening of jazz can be just what the doctor ordered. Join me, Meredith Michelle, with WJSU's Evening Jazz. 7 to 10 weeknights on MPB Music Radio.
1: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.
2: Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio, the show all about addressing issues of health and wellness from a woman's perspective. I'm Dr. Allie Brown. I'm joined today with my co-host, Dr. Michelle Owens, and we're talking to Dr. Randy Jordan and Savannah Lloyd today. Dr. Jordan is a facial plastic surgeon, and Savannah is a medical esthetician. They're both at FACES which is in Richland. And we're talking about the spectrum of things that you can do for self-care to make yourself feel good about yourself, taking good care of your skin, any sort of intervention that you might need. You can always go in for a consultation. Doesn't mean you're going to necessarily have to get these things. So let's talk about a few less invasive things, some things that Savannah perhaps would do in her practice. Savannah, what are some of the more common things that people are coming to see you for?
3: so yeah it's kind of like a snowball effect you know most patients come in for a uh, just a good once-over what do I need I feel old I looking in the mirror all the time and I don't like you know X Y and Z and then we kind of start opening the conversation a little bit about so what's the real issue what's you know really bothering you you kind of have to get to the root of it all to, to fix the problem um, so comprehensive facials that's usually where we start We, um, of course, take your makeup off or for men, just give you a a good clean and we're able to look at your skin a little bit closer. And a lot of what I'm hearing is people kind of self-diagnose themselves. Like I've got combination skin or I'm extremely oily or acne prone skin and they're treating their skin with products over the counter, but it's totally incorrect. So a lot of times, the state of your skin's health has to do with the products that you're using so coming in for a a comprehensive facial and letting us figure out your regimen and routine and what the real problem is um, is a good segue into a better treatment plan Um, so comprehensive facials are great there's other things we can do like the hydrofacial for a good um, deep pore clean if you're Somebody that gets congested pretty easily—that's um, great. Also, men. My husband loves a hydrofacial. He probably would, would never admit it, but he—he <laughs> um, he does enjoy one every once in a while. You just but, add, you just added him.
0: Yeah, I was oh, like, no, I did. <laughs> you put him
3: on blast. Yeah, I sure did. But his skin looks great, so it can't be bad. Um, and then skin pins great, especially teenagers and young adults who have struggled with acne and maybe you know didn't treat it like it should have been treated um and that are left with some bad scarring and discoloration or even you know moms with melasma skin pen's been a really popular treatment um here recently so those are two of our our really big ones that we're seeing a lot of here. Well, Frequ- what exactly is what exactly is skin pen? Okay so skin pen is a micro channeling technique. We take it's a motorized pen. I kind of explain it. It's almost like a tattoo gun for you um, tattooed listeners. <laughs> it's a, a motorized pen and it's got several needles in the top of it. And we we numb you so you don't you don't feel much. Most people say it just tickles, but we create hundreds maybe even thousands of little tiny holes all over the skin to promote new collagen and um cell growth so it's really great just if you feel dull or if you have some uneven skin texture some skin tone issues can be taken care of with a skin pen but it's really really great for those with just not a very pleasant skin texture or some scarring going on so it's not extremely invasive some people do bleed quite a bit from it but um, some people just look really red and chapped, and can go can go about their business. So it's a great one.
0: I think I just fainted. I just got <laughs> thousands of little needles on the head. I was just,
2: at that Owens point, I can uh, hardly even look uh, at a needle. Oh my gosh!
1: Oh my gosh! I can't. Surgeon, really?
0: <laughs> look, right? that's different. A knife is different. I feel different about a knife.
1: You're like, oh. Somebody. And you're using it on somebody else, I guess, too, of course. So, so skin pen is a microneedling device, and there are good gosh, probably 20 or 30 different types of microneedling devices that are on the market currently uh, in the United States, and the skin pen is just one brand, but it does create micro channels into the into the epidermis and and superficial dermis, which then, after you have created the micro areas, you can apply different top di- different topical substances. And uh, Savannah mentioned melasma, melat. Skin pin alone or microneedling alone is not a treatment for melasma, but in, when it's combined with transemic acid, particularly, has been a very recent sort of um, application of that drug. Uh, Michelle knows about tranexamic acid. I'm sure from this use in surgery, it helps stop bleeding, but it also works for hyperpigmentation. Uh, and anyway, it seems to be very effective when combined with uh, microneedling, you know, particularly for difficult to treat melasma, which I guess all melasma is difficult to treat almost. But anyway, it does seem to be working pretty well for that. Uh, in our practice, and I think nationwide, you know as as well, some microneedling devices combine energy, like radio frequency energy with the microneedling device uh, as a way of tightening skin. And uh, there's a lot of different devices on the market. It's kind of the current rage in skin tightening it's so-called RF microneedling. and it does help some. It's not going to take the place of surgery in a face but it does help somewhat to tighten skin.
0: Dina, so, you, know, you raised another um really interesting point. So, um, discoloration of skin on your face, um, whether it's hyperpigmented areas or um, areas of, you know, redness or the, what exactly, uh, would somebody who's struggling with issues pertaining to um, discoloration or pigment issues, would they, would they be appropriate to come to your practice? Are there options for those, for those individuals?
1: Sure. Yes, we see those kind of individuals all the time. Do uh, you, you, know, derma-
0: you cut it out, Randy? Is that what you do? No,
1: no. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I send them to Savannah to treat them. So, um, But no, so uh, yeah, and hyperpigmentation and melasma particularly is a huge problem for a lot of people, as you know. And uh, dermatologists are very effective at helping with that too as well. But melasma... Has been one of the most difficult to treat skin problems, uh, you know, for a long, long time, and there really haven't been very many effective regimens for that. I think all these things, as you know, are driven by UV exposure or sunlight, of course. So starting off with a good sunscreen of an SPF 50 or so is probably a good place to start. If you're not gonna do that, and if you're not gonna be careful about UV exposure, then you'd be wasting your money to treat it otherwise, of course. Many of them are also driven by hormonal changes, as you guys know know both about, birth control pills, etc. All kinds of other different things like that can contribute to um, hyperpigmentation. Melasma, which has been called the mask of pregnancy for a long, long time, as you know, is hormonally driven and obviously, of course, commonly during pregnancy, but not always. It's caused a lot of different things. But for whatever reason, melasma has been a type of hyperpigmentation that has been very difficult to treat. It's not responded very well to the topical skin lightening products that are very commonly used and contain hydroquinone typically, but also kojic acid and a variety of other different things are used too. Uh, Nevertheless, uh, it has been hard to treat and I think this, like I said, I can mention this new uh, use of uh, transumic acid is kind of one of the more current themes that you'll see in the literature about this.
0: So um one other question that I had um is I guess kind of going back to um doing procedures on their on on your face what kind of techniques or how do you minimize scarring um because when you when you make an incision um there's there's always a scar um but you guys seem to have the inside scoop on how to make those darn things practically invisible um, and so, how do you minimize scarring? Or for somebody who might be concerned about other scars that they've had on their on other parts of their bodies, who may be considering um, getting something done on their face, I mean, what kinds of things should they be concerned about? And what types of techniques do you use to help minimize scarring for people who have facial procedures?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Scarring is um, very different from person to person. It's very much dependent on skin type. So the darker your skin type is, more commonly you'll see thicker scars, more raised scars in people with that. The people who have the very pale skin typically heal with very thin, linear uh, kind of white scars that are almost, like you said, invisible. But there are some things you can do Regardless of your skin type, that can help after the surgery itself. Uh, I, as far as actual surgical techniques, I mean, I think, you know, the, using techniques that are gentle to the skin, that we handle the skin very carefully, you know, to avoid, you know, crushing the skin edges with uh, forceps and so on uh, is one technique that's commonly used for that. Uh, once skin is traumatized, you know, it's traumatized and it's going to heal it just whatever way the skin's going to heal at that point. Um, after surgery, I think uh, you know removal of sutures at a fairly early stage uh, is certainly important to not leave suture tracks and so on. Uh, using delicate small sutures, also of course, and then once the sutures are out, though, the beginning to beginning to use some of the scar therapy treatments that are available. Uh, you'll and you read about a lot of these things online. The ones that actually work are the ones that contain silicone sheeting typically. And you know, you don't have to spend a ton of money on the on these things. You can go to Walgreens in the band-aid section and you'll find the Walgreens scar therapy bandages that are about ten dollars for a box that'll last you several months. So you don't need to go broke trying to do this. But that is something that works very well. I think you should always talk to your surgeon before you start treating something like that, or your physician before you start doing that, of course. But, I think that's a very effective, uh, you know, product. You know, there's a lot of other things, different kind of scar gels and so on. The scar gels don't tend to work as well as the scar therapy bandages, the actual solid silicone sheet. Tends to work better. Uh, There's some other products uh, that you'll read about, like Moderma and things like that, that are not silicone containing. Moderma is an onion extract. It moisturizes the skin, so it is helpful from that standpoint, but it's not going to be as effective as something that contains silicone from that standpoint. So, silicone. Uh, sheeting is probably the thing I can tell you that works the best for a scar that's really a scar that's an old scar if it's been there for years it's not going to respond to silicone sheeting typically Um, skin pen microneedling devices like that can help with some types of scarring for sure there are laser treatments that can help with scars particularly scars that are red can be helped by laser treatments also. Uh, sometimes it requires injection of steroids and things like that. And sometimes even a surgical procedure such as a scar revision can be helpful depending on the type of scar and the location of the scar. Scar revision, all it does is just reorient the scar. It changes the scar. You can't make a scar go away. Once you've got a scar, it's not going to go away. You can't just make it go away like Photoshop makes things go mm-hmm. away. It's, we don't have any magic like that. Sorry.
2: Uh-huh. <laughs> I love it. you got stuff close
0: to that. I mean, you do pretty good. All right, let's talk about everybody. They're always so strategically placed, too, right? So, you know, there's also this element of kind of concealment, so to speak. Like, it's you, you guys tuck those things away pretty well.
1: Yeah, well, that's certainly true. I mean, we, we obviously, all, all when you're, if, you, if you're planning an incision, you know, you can plan that out and think about where you're going to orient it towards the lines of you know, tension, etc. on the skin so that it's going to heal better. But unfortunately, you know, for trauma and things like that, those are not planned incisions. And so they're obviously not, as fav- not going to do as favorable. So traumatic incisions are never going to heal as favorably as a surgically, as a surgically created incision.
2: When you bring up trauma, and we only have a couple minutes left in the show, but I think it's important that people know that you also, and facial, you do facial plastics and reconstruction. So you deal with a lot of patients who have had facial trauma, maybe facial fractures, et cetera. And that, you know, after the healing is done and maybe the initial phase of surgery has been done, those patients also can sometimes benefit from additional procedures kind of to improve the aesthetics, um, so, what's some experience you have with that? Like, should people seek out a facial plastic surgeon if perhaps they've had a history of facial trauma?
1: Well, I think uh, you know plastic surgeons, facial plastic surgeons, dermatologists, all of us uh, deal with scars and with treating scars, and there are many people who do a very good job you know, with that as, as well. And of course, as you said, I am a professor at University Medical Center also in addition to working at FACES, and so I have a very busy trauma practice there also, and uh, I'd be happy to see people from that standpoint too, but there's a lot of folks that can do a good job.
2: Absolutely. Well... We have about a minute left in the broadcast. I think you also touched on something really important and so did Savannah, and that is um, the slowing down of aging and prevention of things like hyperpigmentation with sunscreen. You know, Dr. Jordan's always gonna be in business because we got that thing called gravity, but you know, we can do things to take care of our skin as well. Thank you. Dr. Jordan, as always, you are a fantastic guest. And Savannah, thanks for coming on today for the first time. Um, We hope to have you on again very soon. Uh, this is Southern Remedy for Women. It was produced today by Jane White. With Dr. Michelle Owens, I'm Dr. Allie Brown. Thanks for being with us and join us next Friday at 11 for Southern Remedy for Women. NPR's Here and Now is next on MTV Think Radio.